Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Broken Meeple Podcast. My name's Luke Hector and I thank you for listening and playing games. Well, episode 2 was received well in general, however, it was commented that there was a bit of a sound quality issue with the recording. Um, sorry about that, I blame that on the location I did the recording, which was my study where my PC is, and that is a relatively small room with pretty bad acoustics. It was commented that it was a bit tinny in places. So we're going to try something different today. I'm doing it from my lounge slash kitchen open plan diner, whatever you want to call it. It's essentially one big room. And hopefully this means that the microphone can be a further distance away, and it means that the sound won't reverberate off all the walls. I think that's the science behind it, to be honest. I'm not a big expert on these fields, so feel free to correct me in the comments. Right, well, last time I did a top three and talked a little bit about a game that I wasn't a big fan of, but got to play at a Southampton group. Today we're going to talk about four games. Now, this won't be that long a podcast. It's a first impressions only podcast, um, but it's four games I've had a chance to play in the last... Literally the last few days alone, although one of them has seen one or two extra plays in the past. Uh, two of them are going to be good reviews, two of them are going to be bad. And we're going to start off on a good note though, with the first of those games, Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica is a game that's been on my test list for a good long while. This is a recent Euro game brought in only around 2012 and published by Feverland. The premise of this is that it's a Euro game, and some people scoff at Euro games for being pretty much unthematic, relatively dull, boring, no player interaction, that kind of thing, but with a good strategic element and very good for just generally those players who like a bit more thought process to their games, really. However, Terra Mystica seems to break a few of those rules. It's caught my eye because it's got more of a fantasy-esque element to it, despite being a Euro game. And Euro games tend to be sort of trading in the Mediterranean or uh, building up a civilization, that kind of thing. And whereas this one is building up a civilization in a way, it's more simplistic than that, but keeps the fantasy-esque setting intact. You know, you're not just playing humans in this game, you know, you're not just playing France and Germany and Spain. You're playing anything from darklings to mermaids to, to giants to dwarfs to nomads, you know. There are 14 races in this game you can play, each with their own special ability and subtle differences in what they build. 14 different races. That's... I can't tell you how much that's good for variety, but... You know, Euro games aren't usually known for their variety. You are just player A and player B most of the time. In this case, you have your own identity and your own race that dictates, to an extent, your style of play. For example, there were four of us, and the bloke who taught us the game uh, played the Nomads. They were generally a wandering tribe, and as such, they were very good at exploring and setting up their civilization. Whereas on the flip side, I was playing the Darklings, which picture-wise kind of looked like evil kobolds, if anybody knows them from the D&D universe. But they were pretty much the opposite way around, really. They weren't too interested in expanding their territories, but they were very good at essentially building up demonic powers and sacrificing priests. 
Um, maybe I'm going a little bit too far ahead of myself here. Let's start with the basics. The game revolves around everybody having to gain, of course, victory points. It's a Euro game after all. And the idea is, is that you have to build up your settlements and dwellings and temples, that kind of thing, by terraforming the landscape. You're all on this one planet that is full of all sorts of terrain types. Mountain, desert, swamp, river, sludge, uh, rock, all various different types. I think there's about seven types in all. And the idea is, is that your race can only build on its own terrain. So if you're mermaids, you're only good in rivers. If you're nomads, you're only good in deserts, that kind of thing. And the way that you keep building up is that you terraform the surrounding landscape to meet your needs. Once that is done, you then build up your civilization in various ways. And as you build up, you will gain more victory points, but you will also gain the use of extra skills, extra abilities, and basically extra other paths to victory. Now, on top of all this, you also have what's called a power pool, where effectively more abilities that you can do each turn are unlocked based on how much power you charge up. Some races are better at doing this than others, but effectively it's almost, you could almost call it like a magic pool if you want to go down that fantasy S route. And then finally on the side, there is a cult track where there are four elements. I believe it was air, earth, fire, and water to my knowledge. And raising yourself up these cult paths gain you more power, but also if you were the head of those cults by the end of the game, more victory points. Uh, victory points were also gained for expanding your territory out wide. Uh, victory points are also gained for building specific buildings at the right time. There are goals that change on each round and bonus points to be earned. So it's quite a flexible and changing game. Um, you could almost compare the cult track to something like Zulkin, the Mayan calendar, where they've got the three gods that you have to be in favour with. This is kind of the similar deal. You've got four elements, you've got four cult paths, and obviously getting to the higher end of those paths gets you more rewards, but also gets you more victory points. Being the Darklings, I was effectively going all-out cult status. I couldn't care less about expanding my territory. I literally just went for demonic power. If I can't control the world by having a big civilization, I'm just going to control it by summoning demons and effectively conquering the world that way. You don't get to see any of that, unfortunately, but that was what was going through my mind. Strange as it was. Now... The great thing with this Euro game is that there are plenty of choices each round. You are never thinking that you can't do anything. You're rarely stuck in a situation where I can't do anything. That's it. You know, I'm just going to pass this turn. What a waste. When's it my turn again? You know, it's always something you can do. And the other great thing is that this is a Euro game with theme. You wouldn't believe it. A Euro game with theme and variety. The terraforming makes sense. You know, you have to collect a resource they call spades in this one, but effectively it just means the ability to dig. And digging on various terrain types converts it to a different terrain. Now, some terrain types are harder to convert than others, depending on how far down the chain you go. All the terrain types are in, linked up in this one big ring, and depending on what race you are depends on how hard it is for you to terraform certain terrains. Like, for example, I was home on what they called sludge, or swamp lands. You know, what's wrong with swamps? It's underrated. Now, 
in my case, it was all right terraforming things like river and mud because they, on the chart, they were close. And to be fair, in theme-wise, that makes sense. You know, water to sludge, mud to sludge. It makes sense. But then on the flip side, I would have an extremely hard job converting desert and mountains. They were, I think, two of my hardest ones. And I think red rock. Um, I'm not sure what if it was called red rock or plains. I'm not sure what the terrain type was called. But effectively, it looks a bit like sort of Martian red rock, really. Um, but, you know, obviously rock to sludge is harder to do than mud and water to sludge. So it made sense thematically. Um, on top of that, the buildings that you build also made sense. You built settlements to get you more, what they call, you know, it's not a Euro game without cubes. You get more population cubes to basically take more actions. But then from there, you've got to build trading posts, which gets you more money and power. Then you've got temples that get you more priests, which is kind of like a secondary currency in the game. You know, racers will use them on occasion. Me being the Darklings, I pretty much harvested those and used them to convert them into cult status, various resources, and also, bizarrely, spades. There was a lot of jokes going around how you end up converting the priest into a spade. Obviously, some weird ritual they have to go through, but it was quite amusing me literally throughout the entire game going, right, I sack my priest to create a spade. It almost sounds like something you'd expect out of Monty Python, really. But the game carries on at a very good pace. The only time it slows down is if you get the old person with analysis paralysis, but then that's not exactly uncommon in the Euro game. That's really normal. But it didn't really matter, because the whole game I was hooked there were choices to make, I had a strategy in my mind, I could follow it out, and because you have extra goals each round, as well as special abilities that you interchange each round as well, depending on what turn order you're going in, there was basically always something you had to think about tactically as well as strategically. And because the theme in this is so strong, and you really get that feel of the race you're playing, it just brought a whole new level of entertainment to the game for something that would normally be dressed up as we are a civilization building up in the desert, we must get silk, we must get spices and what else do they do? Pottery. <laughs> what else do these Euro games in the Mediterranean do? It's basically stuff like that. You could easily paste on, paste on a really dry theme to this game and I wouldn't enjoy it anywhere near as much. This was a fantastic game to play, and I urge anybody who likes the, the, the idea that there is a Euro game with a fantasy-esque theme that's very challenging to play, but also not that complicated to play. A lot of it is iconography, so if you're used to playing things like Seven Wonders or Race for the Galaxy, you will pick this up pretty quickly. It's I can't really say much more about it. It's that good of a Euro game. I hope I see it again in the Southampton Board Gaming Group. If I do, I am certainly going to put my name down to play it, because there's, after all, 14 races to pick. I want to play the other 13. And I'm very tempted to add this to my collection as well. I don't tend to add many Euro games to my collection on the basis that I don't know enough people that are willing to commit to that sort of length. But I do own one or two. I have Kingsburg as a light Euro game, and I also have Agricola as my heavy. This Terra Mystica is very likely to make the cut. It's a bit pricey. I think the cheapest you can get it for is about £50 in that region. But there's a lot of components. The artwork is brilliant. The board is colourful. It's just a fantastic game. Give it a try. I highly recommend it. Now, oh, on a similar heavy Euro note, Ugtech. 
Yeah, okay, you're probably not expecting this to be a heavy euro, and it's not. <laughs> We're going right down the other end of the scale here with Ugtech. This was a game that was made on made by Fantasy Flight Games, and the premise of this is that this is in no way a euro or heavy, this is just a straight-up party game, effectively. Um, it's a caveman game where you are in teams, usually teams of two, and one player is trying to build a structure from a card that only the other player is looking at with various coloured wooden blocks. So all the stuff that kids would use. Now, the only way that you communicate to the person who's building is by making weird gestures like shrugging your shoulders, shaking your hips, stomping your feet, you know, in sort of caveman style. This is the theme of the game. And making various noises, which is essentially caveman speech, like woonga boonga and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> really messed up stuff like this. You can imagine how embarrassed I was trying to play this in the middle of a pub. doesn't matter that it wasn't that much of a populated pub. I'm just glad I wasn't facing anybody else there when I had to make gestures and God knows what else. Thankfully, I think my um, opposing team were being a little bit more theatrical with theirs, so at least that took away some of the glares I think we were getting from the rest of the pub. However, but the best part of it is that as well as making these noises, obviously you're not allowed to communicate yes or no. So the only way you communicate to your partner that he's on the right track with what he's building is by hitting them over the head with an inflatable club. Yep. Hitting them over the head with an inflatable club, you heard right. This is, this is the case of basically that constantly throughout the game, you are racing to get to a certain amount of points, building as many structures as you can, and one person is trying to understand what on earth you're going on about whilst building a structure, and the other player, who I have to admit gets more fun out of the deal, I think, than the builder, gets to whack his teammate over the head with a club, usually like one whack for yes, two for no, and I think you hit yourself to self-cancel your last order. To be honest, that doesn't tend to happen much. I just basically decided I was going to beat the living hell out of my teammate until he got it right. And I think the funniest moment I remember was that uh, normally you get your opponent to try and pick up a piece and then work with it. My teammate decided at one point that he was going to pick up every piece that he had for about a second and then put it down before I even had a chance to tell him what to do with it. He carried this on for about 10 seconds before I got so frustrated I just basically went and smacked him, like clubbed him round the head with the inflatable club. It made, almost sounded like a caveman myself because I was getting so frustrated with the fact that this guy just wouldn't do anything. It was like, oh god, he's like, stop, stop moving the pieces! I'm trying to talk to you! Oog! Oog tech! You know, it's a really stupid party game. But it's a bit of fun, and obviously it's not really meant for us. It's more of a kids' party game. I suppose it could work with teenagers, and I suppose like adults can have a bit of a laugh with it. But it, like I said, it's a silly party game. But it was a good way to unwind after playing Terra Mystica, because we just spent two and a half hours to three hours going through a heavyish Euro game with our brains and then we were basically smacking each other's brains over the head with an inflatable club. You know, it's a silly party game, but it's a good laugh. It's relatively harmless. If you want something that's a bit different from every party game, then give it a shot. There's no harm in it. That's Ugg Tech by Fantasy Flight Games.
Okay, now we're getting on to the bad games. Yes, I've done two games that I like. Party Game Ugtect and Heavy Euro Terra Mystica. But we got to balance things out now. This has been too much of a gushing episode over two good games. So now I'm going to talk about two games that I played recently that I hate. And I think we'll kickstart with the worst culprit of the two. You're probably not going to see this coming. But let me give you a few... Um, shall we say, hints on what it might be. It's a relatively popular game by Queen Games, is the publisher. Plays up to four players, is fairly quick, uh, only takes about 45 minutes to play, has had a couple of expansions, uh, it involves building a kingdom, that kind of thing. Yeah, you probably guessed it by now if you know your games. It's Kingdom Builder. Now, this game, I have given every possible chance to entertain me. I've played this three times in recent days, and the only time I played it by choice was the first time I tested it. The second two times I was forced into it because I had basically no choice. There weren't enough games, and I was being outvoted. Why, oh, why do people like this game? It is so bad. I hate this game. Really hate this game. Published 2011, basically all you do in this game is you have a coloured map full of various terrain types and you have to draw cards from the deck which tells you what terrain you're allowed to build on each turn. And when that happens you place three of your little houses on the map and then the next player does the same. Now to put a bit more of a strategic element into it. There are various tokens you can pick up by building in certain places that give you special abilities like shift your buildings to the edge of the map, uh, like um, swapping buildings around, like placing additional ones on, that kind of thing. And obviously the rules dictate various ways that you are allowed to place your buildings, like um, if you are already in a piece of terrain like desert or forest, then if you draw another desert or forest, you have to keep building in that area until you've used it all up. Um, and the winning conditions of the game are random from another deck of cards, which basically stipulate what victory points you will get for doing what. These range from building in a horizontal line across the map, having a giant settlement, having settlements in all four quarters of the board, um, that kind of thing. Now, for some reason, this is relatively popular on Board Game Geek. It's, I think it's number 260 last time I checked. And it seems to be quite popular among players in the groups, and I just can't understand it, because this is a game that tries to get across that it's a light yet strategic game. It's not strategic. It is not, I wouldn't say you go as far to say pure luck, but most of it is luck. Because Yes, you have choices to make as to where you put your settlements, but your choice is ultimately dictated by the card you draw with the terrain type on it. You might think, oh, it would be really good if I could build over there, but if the card doesn't say you can build there, you can't build there. So you have to build where the cards tell you. You might as well call it the card game version of the roll and move me mechanic. You know, the game is effectively playing you, and... My luck is not great at the best of times, but playing this game, all I get is the same terrain types all the time, which means I never get to do what I like. I am literally just waiting for the card to tell me, oh, what a surprise, you can't build where you want to build. And then 
points, I just get very few, whilst everybody else who gets the terrain types they want gets to harvest all the decent stuff. It's just a horrible game to play, not enough strategy or tactics in it for my liking, and thematic-wise, what theme? There is no theme. The cover of the box looks more entertaining than... In fact, yeah, the cover of the box actually looks better artwork-wise than the rest of this game. There is a points track, which, let's face it, is a points track. How exactly can you make a points track look nice? The game board is modular, so that is one benefit I would give it. You know, you basically choose from a selection of tiles and piece forward them together. So your maps are always random. That's a good thing, I suppose, yes. But the map looks so boring. Yes, it's colourful, but it's just little river and shaded hexes, effectively, with a little bit of detail just to simulate it's a different type of terrain, so it's not just plain green or something. But it just looks like something I could do on Photoshop. Something like a secondary school art student would do. It's just not very thematic, and it's not doesn't give off the impression of high quality. You know, the cover of the box looks better than the board does. Yeah, the the cover actually gives you an indication of something a lot better. You know, it's got a guy on horseback overlooking this giant valley with really beautiful-looking citadels built and the huge titles of Kingdom Builder. Now, when I first looked at that game, I thought it was going to be a really good civilization-building game. Then I saw the Photoshop-style board. Then I saw the deck of cards. And then I just blew my brains. It was effectively just sitting there waiting for the cards to tell me that I can't do what I like and then being forced to do something bad. It wasn't the case that, oh, I didn't get the terrain I wanted, I'll just get a couple less points that way. No, it was a case of, you got the terrain you didn't like. Oh, well, you might as well not do anything, but you've got to put three buildings down, so just put them down. A waste of time, this game. Really hate it, and I am adamant that I will refuse to play this game ever again. I don't care if it's the only game there and I get outvoted. I am not playing this game. Kingdom Builder. Overrated. Rubbish. And I think it was, I mean, what gets my drift even worse is that Golden Geek, Golden Geek, Board Game Geek, have nominated it, and I think it even won a 2012 Golden Geek Best Abstract Game winner. I'm sorry, Best Abstract Game. There are some good abstract games on the market, and this is not one of them. Okay, this is a rubbish game. I'm never playing this again. I will vomit if I see it. I don't care what awards it's won, this is overrated Kingdom Builder, and, well, that's my rant on that. <laughs> okay, game number four. Here we go. It's another rant, although this one isn't going to be quite as heated as Kingdom Builder was. I played this at the Eurogroup last Tuesday, and, well... Let's put it this way, trains are not my favourite style of game. There's very little you can do with trains. You know, Ticket the Ride at least put a nice light twist on it, so that's alright. That's an okay game. It's not the, well, I wouldn't call it the sacred cow that it seems to be made by various gamers, but it's a good game and I'll happily play it. But this train game in particular is what I would like to call 18xx Light. Now, if anybody's watched the last podcast, you will know that 18xx games were number two in my top three worst genres of all time. So, 
you can tell that anything that claims to be 18xx light is not going to get my boat straight away without really wowing me. This one didn't even come close. Game I'm referring to is Chicago Express. This is a relatively old-ish train game, which mimics a lot of 18xx stuff. Because 18xx basically usually has you as a company director of a train company with shares and dividends and a really strategic and complicated um, economic system. And effectively you are trading shares, building train tracks and trying to get the most money. This one does the same thing, but in a lighter fashion. There are only four companies, there are only four types of shares, and the train tracks are just relatively light. There's only one small map, and laid out with mountain hexes, forest hexes, and city hexes. And effectively, the aim of the game, again, is just to get the most money. But the rules are much more simplistic than 18xx. You basically have three choices to build more train tracks, to auction off shares, or to develop a railroad that you're already on. And develop this basically means sprout a little building token which increases the value of the railroad. And you basically go through the whole game, building train tracks, upping the value of your track, and then gaining dividends based on what shares people have got. Whoopee! I've, a friend of mine actually loved this game. He actually claimed it as the, one of the better games he's played recently. And considering some of the games we played, I cannot understand why. To each their own, but this game just bored me. You know, literally all you found yourself doing was pretty much building three train tracks a turn, auctioning off a share, get a dividend, the end is a mini adventure. Whoopee. It just, oh. I mean, they, they start off with four colours for the companies, blue, green, red, yellow, and they start off in different positions, and you can block off each other, you're told, but nobody does it. One train track didn't even get used the entire game, and the other three just built in a straight line all the way across the map to try and get to Chicago, which is essentially a point which ups the value of your railroad considerably, but everybody got there. So, well, that was hardly much of a mission. I basically took the southernmost train track, went all the way along the south coast, got to Chicago first, and it made subtle difference. You know, people just caught up eventually. Nobody could block each other, and nobody even bothered to try to block each other. Uh, the monetary system, again, it's auctioning, which, hmm, if you remember my last podcast, made number three on my top three worst genres of all time. So, you can see why this game has not been very popular with me so far. I mean, let's face it, all you had to do was throw in a trivia element where you had to, I don't know, tell me a random fact about trains or something, and you could probably have called it my worst game of all time by that point. But, nah. This game literally is just that all the way through. Auction a share, build some tracks, and get some money. You might as well forget the development phase, because developing your track actually was pointless. It barely does anything to the value, it is a waste of a turn action, and pretty much nobody did it. I did it twice just because I got bored at one point. But everybody else just ignored it completely the entire game. So great, you've now just got auctioning and build trains. The end. You've just taken one of the main actions out of the game. And we only used three out of the four main train companies. So you just took one of them out of the whole game. So what was the point? Essentially we just got to the end count with up the money and go, yay, you won. Well, that was fun. It, 
Oh, so boring. I I don't get the whole thing with 18xx games. And one trying to be 18xx light really just wasn't going to do it for me. Chicago Express, horrible game. Not as bad as Kingdom Builder, though. I'll give... Oh, oh, saying that, though. Worse than Kingdom Builder. Oh, I don't know. Kingdom Builder is just frustratingly bad in that it's just pretty much just luck of the terrain cards and the winning conditions. Chicago Express at least has a set winning condition, but then I suppose it just doesn't really have any tactical element of it to it at all. There's no luck, but there's also no tactical element. So it is just dull, and I don't know which is worse. A game that tries to be strategic but is just pure luck, or a game that is just so dull it doesn't matter which one of the two it is. Which is the worst crime? Uh, I suppose if you were to hold me at gunpoint and force me to play one of the two games, I suspect... Oh, I think it would actually have to be Kingdom Builder. Shockingly enough, I think it would have to be, because at least there's something you're doing in that game, where Chicago Express is just literally train, auction, train, auction, train, auction. You know, absolute rubbish. So, it was a shame that after a decent Monday gaming group with Terra Mystica and Ugtech, I had to be subjected to the Tuesday group of playing Chicago Express and Kingdom Builder. Oh well, can't win them all, I suppose. There you have it, those are my first impressions of four games that I have played in recent weeks. Terra Mystica, brilliant Euro game, check it out. Fantastic. If you like any kind of fantasy theme in your Euro games, you will not be disappointed by this game. Check it out. Ugtech, party game, bit of harmless fun. If you've got kids, it'll be fantastic because they're going to love using that club. My only slight beef with it is maybe it's a little bit tricky for a party game because the gestures you're doing and the names you've got to say are a little bit hard to get in your head at times. And even with the player aid in front of you, you find yourself having to stare at it pretty often before you can work out what you're doing. But, like I say, it's a bit of harmless fun, and if you really enjoy clubbing people with, a, with an inflatable club, then, well, you can't really go wrong with this game. Now, I remember Dice Tower put this at number 9 in their top 10 games not to play with an angry person. Uh, I don't think angry people are going to have a problem with this game. I mean, you know, people don't like being hit on the head, but it's an inflatable club and it's a party game. I don't think people are really going to get riled over it, so give it a shot if you want something a bit different. I'm just more shocked that Fantasy Flight Games, of all people, created it, considering the rest of the stuff they've come up with. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my shelf now, and the first thing I can see is a ton of Arkham Horror. Hmm. Arkham Horror? Cthulhu? Gods trying to enslave the entire world? Ugtech. Clubbing people with a big inflatable toy. Hmm. Yeah, a bit of a switch. But, oh well, that's the good thing about game publishers trying to diverse. Then we've got Kingdom Builder. That's all I'm going to say, really. I don't want to get into another rant. And then Chicago Express, effectively dull, dullness on the train track. Pretty much as entertaining as actually being on the train. The same level of boredom and tediousness can be found in this game. And to be fair, I've played a proper 18xx game in my time, and I think I would... I don't know which one of the two. I'd probably prefer to play Chicago Express over a proper 18xx game, only because this Express game probably takes about an hour to play, 
and a proper 18xx game will take you at least four. Doesn't matter what the box says. A free player game I played took over four hours. You know, it's that long. If I want to play a game for four plus hours, I want to be playing Arkham Horror or something like Twilight Imperium. I still want to play that. So if anybody in Southampton or Portsmouth has got that game and is willing to host, or even then, give me a bell. I've got a flat. I live alone. Tell me that you have Twilight Imperium and that you have a spare Sunday that you want to play it, then I will host at my flat. I'll even provide cocktails for drinks. Okay, I want to play that game and I don't care if we have to spend eight hours of the day playing it. It looks epic and I want to try it. Anyway, that's it for me on episode three. I hope the sound quality in this one was a lot better being in this room. Uh, give me some comments to compare it to episode two if you preferred the sound quality or if you didn't. Um, I don't know what else I can really do to improve the sound quality much apart from play with the software a bit but I'm hoping that this will be adequate for future podcasts. Uh, future reviews to come up will include No Thanks, King of Tokyo, and Masquerade. Uh, Cosmic Encounter has just been put up on the site with a full review for the base game. Expansions will be done at a later date. Um, the next podcast, episode 4, will, I think, be a relatively short podcast. It will mostly be focusing on new games upcoming that I'm interested in, and depending on what I've played, will probably be another first impression while I'm at it. Uh, the biggest thing that I will give you a little teaser on is that Halloween is coming, October is near us, and most people on these sites usually like to do a Halloween theme for the month. Cliché as it is. Well, I've got something planned for that as well. I own every single expansion and base game for Arkham Horror, and I am going to review the base game and every expansion on its own, when combined with the base game, throughout October. The entire month will be devoted to getting Arkham Horror reviewed and properly on the site. There might be occasional podcasts and reviews on other small games or other topics that aren't Halloween related, but the predominant feature of October will be that I will go through the entire Arkham Horror collection, detailing what's in each expansion, what's in the base game, and whether each expansion adds enough to the game that it's worth getting. So you can look forward to that. Until that time, this is the Broken Meeple Podcast. I'm Luke Hector. Thank you for listening and playing games.